Good morning. Brandon, I just realized when I came up here that I forgot to uh, get the headset. So if you need me to wear it, just uh, bring it on up. Otherwise, I will continue as, as I am. This morning, I want to speak to you about a truth that has, has had a powerful impact on my life. It's a truth that I'm grateful my parents impressed on me at a very early age as a young child. Realizing this truth has deepened my walk with God. This truth has helped me say no to temptation. This truth is very important because what I believe about God will directly affect the choices that I make. The Bible teaches three foundational truths about God. These things are true of no one else. God is omnipotent or all-powerful. God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere at the same time. And third, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. Have you ever wished that you could know the future? I have, many times. I think it's a pretty common wish of people because why else would there be fortune tellers, palm readers? People want to know the future. How about Chinese fortune cookies? Or astrology, which is trying to tell the future by the stars. Meteorologists attempt to tell us what the weather will be like in the near future. Today, unfortunately, they hit the nail on the head. It rained. <laughs> Have you ever felt like no one knows what life is like for me? No one really knows what I face. Or no one understands. Or like maybe it's not worth the struggle to do what's right. Who will ever know if I give in to this temptation? I've felt each of those things, and I'm gonna guess that at some point you have as well. I've entitled this message, God Knows. I've picked a, a couple of verses out of a host of verses I could read this morning. I'm not gonna do that for the sake of time, but listen to what these verses say about God. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. In Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 21, 
says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Or how about Isaiah 40, verses 27 and 28? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In Ezekiel chapter 5, God's word comes to Ezekiel, and he sends him to the leaders of Israel to tell them, in Ezekiel chapter 11 and verse 5, I know the, thing, the thoughts that come into your mind. Romans 11, verses 33 and 34. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Two more. 1 John 3 and verse 20. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Matthew 6 and verse 8. For your heavenly Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. God knows. I want to read you a story told by Ivor Powell, took place in England in the 1950s. The title of this story, I was going to try to summarize this for you, but I'm going to go ahead and read it because I think you should hear it in his words. The Boiling Ford Man. I shall always be grateful that God permitted me to travel with the pilgrim preachers for nearly five years. During that period, I learned more from those grand fellows than I had ever learned elsewhere. They had neither collections nor financial committees, and never on any occasion was there an appeal for money heard in their meetings. They trusted God implicitly, and the Lord never failed to honor their faith. They became so accustomed to the daily miracles that many of the incidents which amazed and thrilled my soul seemed commonplace to these faith-living men. Daily, every man told his stories of divine provision, and in each meeting, the party enthusiastically returned thanks to God for his delivering grace. Then the various incidents were almost forgotten, for with each new day came additional testimonies. But I was young, and the events were so wonderful that I could not forget them. And even though many years have passed since I left the party, the memories of those incidents still thrills my soul. Let me tell you about the Boiling Ford Band. In modern parlance, the pilgrim preachers were financially embarrassed. Their meager finances continued to dwindle until nothing was left. The two old cars in which the party traveled had petrol for the tanks, and there was just a little food for the midday meal, but beyond that, the outlook was very bleak. Prayer had been offered, but let it be candidly admitted, some of the younger members hoped a wealthy Christian would come to the rescue. <laughs> like God needs to be rescued. We hoped in vain. God's rich children seemed to be on holiday. The local Christians wished us farewell. They hoped we would have a pleasant journey and that we would someday return. 
Bless their hearts, they were most sincere, but they forgot to give us the money necessary to assist our departure. Daniel Kerr, the pilgrim who always drove the ramshackle Ford van, cranked the long-suffering engine. The wheezy chug-chug came from beneath the bonnet, and the journey to the next town commenced. Brother Daniel was a great fellow. Unfortunately, he was deaf and un unable to join fully in the talk of the pilgrims. This, I suppose, accounted for the fact that whenever he had opportunity, he worked on the car engine. He was forever taking something out of it and putting it back again. Indeed, I often said that if he continued to have a few parts left over each time he overhauled the engine, ultimately, he would have sufficient odds and ends to build a new car. Daniel's only response was a good-natured growl. On this particular morning, no one joked. All were mindful of the empty larder. Yet there was fuel in the tank, and while there was petrol, there was hope. Slowly but surely, the miles slipped by, and on each hill, the fluttering engine coughed its rebellion. Then we saw steam beginning to squirt, and the faithful custodian of the old car sighed and said, she's boiling, we need to stop and let her cool down. Daniel drove to the side of the road, and the boys jumped out to stretch their legs. Brother Dan casually walked along the street, then paused and seemed to be thinking. Then he disappeared around the corner, and when he eventually returned, his face was radiant. He said something like this, when I looked at these buildings, they seemed so familiar, and I was sure I had stayed in this locality. I went to look around, and at last I found the home and remembered clearly my stay with an elderly lady. The moment she opened the door, she said, I've been waiting for you. I knew from the list in the Christian Herald that you would be passing here today, and I've been waiting. Come in, Mr. Kerr. I didn't like to confess that I had forgotten her that only a boiling Ford van had brought me to a halt in her village. Then she gave me a packet of money and added, I have been saving for weeks so that when you called, I would have something to give for God's work. I knew you would call today. Often I have asked, why should the water boil at just that part of old England? Probably critics would reply that coincidence had arranged it all. My answer is that coincidence surely loved those fellows, for he daily performed miracles on their behalf. He was an unseen member of the party. He was very watchful, very careful, and very reliable. <clears throat> and that's the story of the boiling Ford van. God knew, and God provided. Scattered all through the Old Testament are prophecies about the Messiah who would come. Some were very detailed prophecies, giving hundreds of years in advance. In the New Testament, we see Jesus fulfilling every one of those prophecies. God knows. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3 tell us that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in the Lord Jesus. John 4, verse 29, the woman at the well said, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. The fact that Jesus could tell her everything about her made her realize she's speaking to the Messiah. You know, Satan is not omniscient. 
Satan is not all-knowing. Too often, I think we make the mistake of thinking of God and Satan as basically equals, or at least it's really close. That's not the case. Satan is a created being, and Satan is not omniscient. He wishes he was. If Satan were omniscient, he would never have had Jesus crucified. He, would have, he wouldn't have wanted that to happen. I'm going to turn to Psalm 139. <clears throat> You're welcome to turn there with me. Psalm 139. I want to briefly notice some things in Psalm 139 and what they say to us about God. God knowing everything. <clears throat> I'll be right back. I'm going to get some water. <clears throat> This psalm has four paragraphs of six verses each. Let's read verses one to six. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God's knowledge, while it's vast and it's comprehensive, it's also personal. God knows me. God knows you personally. God has... He says God has searched. He has penetrated, examined intimately, knows every detail about every person. Told in verse 3 that he understands. You understand my thought afar off. Understand is to winnow. It's to, to separate and sift, remove unwanted, inferior things. God, you ever thought about God uh, winnowing, going through? He knows every detail of my thoughts, my intents. I find verse 5 very comforting in that he says, you've, you've hedged me in behind or in the past and before the future. You've laid your hand on me. That's in the present. That's now. Past, present, future. God's there. He knows. And it's more, it's more than I can fathom that God can have that kind of knowledge, that kind of knowing about me, about you, about every person and about everything. My, my small mind can't grasp Everything about God. It's beyond what I can comprehend. But God knows. To look at the, just read the next six verses. <clears throat> the 
next six verses talk about the fact that God is omnipresent. Two are very closely tied. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall upon me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and light are both alike to you. It's hard for us to imagine that darkness and light make no difference to God. To us, they do. A lot of crime happens at night. And the reason is people think they won't get caught because no one will see them. They feel safe because it's dark. David realized that darkness doesn't make a difference to God. God can see right through it. When Micah was two years old, he thought... He wanted to play hide-and-seek with me, and we would do this daily. And there was a period of time where he thought that if he just covered his eyes, he couldn't see me, so I couldn't see him, is what he thought. And so he would shout, Daddy, you can't see me. <laughs> he didn't realize. He was too young to understand that just because he can't see doesn't mean that I can't see. I could still see him perfectly fine. The person who looks over their shoulder before doing something, isn't hidden from God any more than Micah was hidden from me. I could see him just fine. <clears throat> Erlo Stegen was a believer in Africa who had a witch doctor come to visit him one day. The witch doctor said to him, tell me about your God. As Erlo was telling him that God is all-powerful, God is everywhere present and he knows everything, the witch doctor became obviously distressed. The veins in his neck stood out. His eyes began to bulge. Erlo said he looked, the man looked like he was in a vice that was just being tightened down. The man began to scream, woe is me, woe is me. Jesus is telling me that he saw me when I murdered that man. Woe is me. The judge of all the earth was with me. He knows. He went on to list by name the men that he had killed, the women he had taken advantage of. He was terrified with the fact that God knew, that God was there. You know, the fact that God knows can be terrifying, but it doesn't have to terrify me. It can also be the most comforting thing the knowledge that God knows, that God cares. It doesn't need to be something that terrifies me. The next section in Psalm 139 tells us about God's foreknowledge, which is also a comforting thing. Pick up in verse 13, reading 13 to 18. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought 
in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You covered me, or literally it says you knit me together. In my mother's womb. Verse 14 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our bodies are amazing. And we can only begin to understand how they work. God in his foreknowledge knew what we would need. Right down to minor details like your nose. What if, all your, what if your nose was turned up instead of down? You ever think about that? What would it be like? For one thing, tall people could see what's in your nose. What do you think a short people see? <laughs> but you could drown in a rainstorm. If your nose, if your nostrils were turned up and it pours rain, it wouldn't be very pleasant. What if you had to consciously think to make your heart beat? And if you stop thinking about it, your heart stops beating. Or your lungs breathing. Usually, if, if you think about your heart or your lungs, you've either been running hard or something isn't, something's not working properly, if we're thinking about it. It just happens. God designed so it just, it keeps working. I don't consciously have to think. I couldn't keep it working. God does it. He knew what we would need. My frame wasn't hidden from God, my bones, in other words, while they were being formed. And before they were formed, he knew. We're told in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 5, Just as you do not know the path of the wind and how bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things. We were skillfully wrought in verse 15, or we were embroidered, skillfully embroidered, just the way that God wanted you. Do you ever want to argue with God about how he formed you? God knew what he was doing. He has a purpose. If God, verse 16 tells us that God Saul, he watched over us before we were born. If God watched over you before you were born, while you were in the womb, won't God watch over us now? And won't the one who formed us know what we need? How to best care for us. Sometimes we think we know what we should have. God knows. Verse 16 tells us that 
in your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. God knows how many days I will live in this short life here on earth before I was born. But God knows before they started. Can you imagine God thinking specifically about you? Can you believe that God cares personally for you? He does. Every person. More than I can count, more than I can imagine. That underlined in my Bible, if I would count them, the God's thoughts toward us, they would be more in number than the sand. Do you ever try to count grains of sand on a beach? I remember well the day I was on the beach in Duck, North Carolina. And the Holy Spirit brought this verse to my mind. I started looking around me. And I wanted to get down close. I, I went down on my knees and looked at the sand. I picked up a hand. I let it run through my fingers. And then there was still too much there. So I shook some more off and shook a little more off. And I have a small hand, but I, I waited till I just had a little in my palm. And I decided I'm going to try to count just that. Surely I can count that. And I started counting. I got to 100 really quick. And I can count further than 100, but I got into trouble. There was so much. And then I go, oh, wait a minute. Did I move that one over or not? Did I count? Uh, I'm not sure if I counted that one. Oh, start over. I started again. And, you know, I was amazed. I don't remember the number, how many I had just in the palm of my hand. And then it hit me. That wasn't even a start for the spot where I scooped it up. I could barely tell where I had scooped that little bit I had in my hand. And I stood and looked at miles of beach. I said, wow, God. I can't fathom. God. God knows each one of us individually, personally, and cares about you. Let's move on to the last section. Actually, I'm going to read, uh, this is 19 to 22. And here there's an abrupt, an abrupt change and a surprising change of tone. David can't imagine that God who knows everything has such detailed personal knowledge of people. Surely God wouldn't ignore wicked people. Surely he would do something about it. And David wants nothing to do with being against God. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I, do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. In the last two verses, he turns from thinking about people who are doing what's wrong. And he looks in and says, search me, O God. Know my heart. 
He recognizes that God knows everything, but now he's inviting God to know. You know, search me and know my heart. Try me, know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How does the fact that God knows affect you today? It can in a lot of different ways. One, it's an incentive not to sin. God knows. Two, assurance of salvation. When Satan accuses, God knows I've repented of the past. God knows he's forgiven me. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Satan would love to have you doubt your salvation. The question is, will I believe God or believe Satan? You know, it's a comfort. The fact that God knows is a comfort. God knows everything I face. The fact that God knows means I don't need to judge others. I don't have the full picture. But God does. God knows. I can leave it with him. When I don't know what to do, I can ask God for wisdom. Because God knows. And he has promised to give liberally to those who ask. gives me courage for the future. God already knows what I'll face tomorrow. God knows what I'll face next week, next month, even next year. There is nothing in my future that is going to surprise God. I will be surprised, but God won't. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you know. You're omniscient. You know everything. Lord, we're grateful that you know everything. The fact that you know is such a comfort. We can bring anything to you knowing you already know and you already, whatever we face, when we are surprised, when life surprises us, shocks us, you know. You know what's ahead and you're prepared when we are not. Lord, may we look to you Trust you, the one who formed us, the one who knew all our days before any of them happened. Lord, may we trust you to know what is best for us and to seek you in your ways all of our life. Lord, I ask that you would bless this group of your people this week with a deep, just give us a deep sense of your presence and your personal care for each one of us as we go about this week. We ask it in the name of Jesus.
Amen.